Hello, and welcome to Execute Chapter 66, a Star Wars fiction podcast where we discuss canon, legends, and beyond. And tonight we will be discussing the canon book, Lost Stars, by one of the best Star Wars authors going today, Claudia Gray. With me, as always, of course, are Chad Schonk and Ryan Schweck. So over to you, Chad. This is your reminder that this is a book club and not a review show. We're going to spoil this book either read it ahead of time, or if you don't care about spoilers, that's fine. There's also a chance that we're going to spoil almost anything else in Star Wars, uh, including and up to the most recent se- recent seasons of Light Clone Wars and The Mandalorian. This has been your spoiler warning. Ryan, uh, anything cool happened this week in Star Wars? Well, so we're going to start this week less on a cool and more kind of a downer. David Prowse, Darth Vader passed away this week at 85. That's not what I was talking about. Just so you know, just so people know, that's not what I was talking about. So, sorry, I thought so we cool. would get the downer out of the way first. Yeah. You know, I think it's interesting. I was talking to somebody and I guess when you ask me, like, who is Darth Vader? I say David Prowse. But I think a lot of people say James Earl Jones. That's what they said. I mean, I guess if you're not like a big Star Wars fan, you don't know who David Prowse really is. I I don't know. I I, I tend to think of him as a, I don't know. I tend to think of him as a combination of those two men. Prowse was the first person to play him. We never saw his face to his chagrin. We never heard his voice. He was the first one, you know, the, the force choke, right? He's the one that's miming that for the first time. Vader's the way how expressive Vader was with his his hands and the way he moved. That's all David Prowse. I met him one time, maybe a couple of times with Dragon Con forever ago, maybe 25 years ago. And uh, he signed my kind of cheap Darth Vader helmet. He was the first official Star Wars person I ever met. Um, I've since met other stars of Star Wars and people who have worked on it, but he's the first like actual connection to this thing that I love so much that I ever made. And uh, yeah, he was great. He was also in Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange for Cinephiles. He was also in that film. So in more lighthearted news, I guess. Did y'all see this year's list of the parents watchdog for the most dangerous toys? No. Oh. Tell me more. (laughs) I haven't finished my shopping yet. This list, Once Upon a Time, had, you know, Rocket Boba Fett on it. And this year, Star Wars has again come to the top of the list. Because the Darksaber has been listed as one of Christmas's most dangerous toys. Oh no, I have one. I have one and I have kids. <laughs> and the reason is that kids could use it as a sword and play sword fight. But they... <laughs> what? Could they not with a regular lightsaber? I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Wait, so so it's not that it's defective. No. It's not that it needs recalled or that it's built poorly. It's the fact that it's um, stick-like, because you could put that tag on sticks. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they need to start putting caution labels on wooden dowels at the craft store. <laughs> oh, yes. it's so good. That's in the hands of my four-year-old. It's a pretty dangerous weapon. What are you going to do with it besides hit people? That is great and also really stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Are parents getting dumber or are kids getting dumber? I mean, when when we were kids, it was lawn darts. Like, right. At least mm-hmm. that, like, that makes sense. <laughs> that was stupid in the first place. <laughs> Do you think some parent bought the Darksaber and then saw the list and was like, oh, God, I got to return this. I didn't realize <laughs> he made sword fight with the sword. I it makes sounds when you hit them together. <laughs> what did you think your kid would do with it? Oh, so good. Uh, that's great. That's great. Uh, and then, of course, in our weekly somewhat discussion of the Mandalorian without really going into it, <laughs> you know, we finally got Ahsoka, the, the worst kept secret in Star Wars history. <laughs> but, you know, I'll give it straight out of the gate. They didn't try to hide it for the end of the episode. You know, she was there. And there's the normal Star Wars fanboy blowback about her Leku not being long enough and blah, so blah, stupid. blah. A friend texted me about it. He's like, what did you, you know, he, he was asking me what I thought. And uh, he was like, well, I heard someone complaining about how long her Leku is. And I'm like, do you know anyone who likes Star Wars more than me? I don't care. Yeah, I. I don't care. I have so many opinions about so much about Star Wars. I did not have an opinion about that. My opinion was, who cares? I mean, I thought it was a great episode. Yeah. yeah, I will say, you know, again, we're not going to dive in. It was not as hard for me to accept her as Ahsoka, but it still took time. Yeah, I agree. You know, and, and I don't know if I'm 100% there yet, but I, it wasn't as awful as my imagination could have summoned. You know, when, when you tell me live action Ahsoka, you know, a year ago, all of our stomachs would have dropped, right? Mm-hmm. And be like, oh, God, I, I, I want to see that, but I really don't want to see that. And while it didn't get me 100% over that hump, it did a pretty good job. I do feel like you could tell she watched some Clone Wars to get ready for it, though, because she had some facial expressions and some mannerisms down really well. Oh, when she gnashed her teeth? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. She also... You know, and this is also just Filoni directing it, but she'd also mastered the kind of a so no one actually I'm gonna say no one stands more badass with a lightsaber than Ahsoka Tano. Yeah, the one in the front and the one in the back kind of yeah horizontal. So uh, I think they really they 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 kind of replicated a lot of that stuff from the cartoon so that people familiar. What I, I will say, I think it was very successful because I have people that I know who asked about her and now are going to watch Clone Wars. Nice. Yeah, they liked her that much from this episode. I, I got text from my my friend Seth, and he said, "Man, Sokatano is really cool." And I'm like, "Yep, always has been. She mm-hmm. she always has been." And he's like, "I think I'm going to start watching Clone Wars." <laughs> <laughs> so apparently, people really did like her, and it was just a good episode. Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell our listeners in the check in on the toy market because of the episode, the value on Ahsoka and Tarkin have shot up. For our listeners, just be patient. Don't pay it. They're re releasing both. Why Tarkin? Because they mentioned him. And so... Oh. And that Tarkin figure was a little hard to find. Um, but yeah, that new one will come out right at the new year for the 50th wave, so... I guess we should also say, um, because of what we cover on here, this is the first time any live-action characters have said the word Grand Admiral Thrawn. Yeah. I mean, flat out. And, and what this seem, what the episode seems to have, tell us is that they're still looking for Ezra. Right. It's hard to say. Is, is she? So what has seemed to come out and what Filoni has somewhat hinted at is that, you know, the only reason we know that the end of Rebels um, was set around five uh, ABY is because of that. Uh, what's the books? Uh, Women of Star Wars, I think it's called. 
Um, okay. That is the only place that's ever been written in something official. Um, and they seem to possibly not be honoring that. So this may right. be before. So, you know, and that's kind of what I thought. Filoni came out. He answered a question for Vanity Fair. <laughs> it's so, that's so crazy. <laughs> Vanity Fair is interviewing Dave Filoni. <laughs> he very tongue in cheek said, yes, it's very possible that Rebels takes place after. So they're going to play. Rebels takes place after what? The last scene of Rebels takes place after Mandalorian. After Mandalorian? Yeah, which is going to cause some weird stuff. Um, I don't remember where I read it, but I read something likening Ahsoka uh, here and Ahsoka in Rebels as like, she's still Ahsoka the Grey. She's not Ahsoka the White yet. So she's still got some stuff to go through. She's going through her Gandalf phase. I don't, here's why I don't understand that because- at the end of Rebels, they're going off to find Ezra and Thrawn. And so in this, if she's if she if Ahsoka is asking, where is Grand Admiral Thrawn? That means that they're on that quest to go find them. That's what I thought, too. But people don't take it that way. They- it could be her tracking down leads to get an idea of where to look. If somebody's still under Grand Admiral Thrawn's employ, maybe she thinks that he's found some way back and i i don't know how it's yeah, all that's gonna work still, but that still would be that would still be after all of the events of rebels well and if you look at the hk droids that are there they've got the seventh fleet insignia on them so right. those are thrawn's droids um or at least part of the fleet so i don't know we'll see uh it was it was cool to see it was cool to hear the names that i never thought i'd hear i think in a year, I'm going to get a live action, at least a live, live action Sabine Wren. I'm going to see a, I think I'll probably see a live action Thrawn. And just relating to kind of what we do, if you want to learn more stuff, uh, you know, the next episode, they're going to Tython. You can read about that in Darth Bane. It's where the beginning of Kotar takes place. And then Dr. Afra 40 is the only instance of it in new canon where Afra goes there and Vader is there also. Yeah. And the expanded universe, it was the ground zero for the Jedi. Right. Cause the Dawn of the Jedi series of books and comics also was based out of Tython. And that was like literally where the Jedi started. And that's where four storm started. So if we get a four <laughs> yeah. storm next week, I'm going to be super pumped. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. And then in my blah, stuff, I don't want to hear about, it looks like a Boba Fett show is going to be made. Mm. I don't know. Like they, what was reported is that it will take place between return of the Jedi and Mandalorian season two. So we'll kind of see, I guess what he's been doing. He's if he's on Tatooine the whole time, he's not been doing anything too interesting. Isn't that just Kenobi? Right. <laughs> if he hasn't left. So that's kind of weird. I mean, I'm, I'm okay with watching it, but I'm okay with the Boba Fett show, but Yes, I agree. I, I said I'm okay with all of these actors like Tamora Morrison, who is a good actor. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of digging the idea of these actors getting a chance to go back and really dig into these characters because it's not their fault. The scripts were bad in the prequels. So letting Tamora Morrison really dig into his character, um, letting you and McGregor take another swing at Obi-Wan. Like there's a satisfaction to that because I don't think the casting the exception of uh, the two Anakins. I don't think the casting was particularly bad in the prequels, you know, so. I understand your reservations because it's just Boba Fett, but you know. And I just do we need another Mandalorian show? 
or I guess a fake Mandalorian show. I don't I'd know. say like eight Emmy nominations says yes. That's all we got for news this week for the big stuff. There's the normal, you know, toys and all that, but that's the exciting stuff. So Beth, what are we talking about today? Well, we're talking about Lost Stars, but before we get into Lost Stars, because this is basically, this is Romeo and Juliet in Star Wars. So this is very much a love story. So before we get into the main love story, let's talk about some other love stories and run through some of our top Star Wars couples and the romance of Star Wars. And for everyone to get that out of their heads, we're not going to sit and talk about Han and Leia for 20 minutes. Han and Leia are in the rafters, like in the stadium. They're retired. We're not going to, they don't, they don't enter into the conversation. They're above everything else. They are untouchable. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So uh, let one of you guys start it off. Chad, what's your first top pick? Oh, darn. Okay. Or Shwek, whoever's ready. I'm curious to see what Ryan picks. Go, Ryan. So you may have seen this coming. There's this book we sometimes mention called Aftermath. (laughs) (laughs) I <laughs> knew it. I knew it. Is it Temin and Mr. Bones? <laughs> and it in Aftermath, we get the love of Wedge and Nora. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> Which I just love them. I love everything about the story with Nora's ex-husband. I love Wedge's relationship with Timon. I, I just think it's a great relationship. And you get to follow it all through Aftermath and how it starts. And then you get to see it kind of later on in uh, Resistance Reborn. Yeah, I, I just really like what they've done with Wedge and New Disney Canon. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love the X Wing books, but it, just how those two come together and kind of the trials they face, especially when her husband comes back, which you'll get to hear a lot more about next week. But yeah, they're my first one. I think they're great. I I agree with that. That's a good choice. Yeah, yeah, predictable, but good. Um, my my first choice is going to be uh, a galaxy famous unscrupulous archaeologist. Dr. Chelly, Lona, Afra, and sexy cybernetic Imperial Captain Magna Tolvin. Probably Star Wars is currently premier non-straight couple, I would say, or relationship. Um, they're not really a couple. They're more of a hateful sex buddies. I don't know how you really explain them. But then they're not. And that's what makes them so good. Yeah. Is that when, you know, she finally has to let Tolvin go to save her. It's sad. Like it's really sad. Yeah, Afra has become this. In uh, I don't know if you're caught up on the book, Ryan, but it actually has. I think it has it has gotten better than that premiere issue. Yeah, I uh, agree. She's just such a fascinating character because she is kind of. She's just so unbelievably flawed, mm-hmm. just through and through. And and she's not evil. She's just really flawed. So when she falls in love with somebody, she can't help but, I mean, she's going to destroy their life because <laughs> she destroys everything around her. And so just the the idea of a relationship with her is, you know, terrifying. Uh, you know, I mean, I could have, she also dated, who else was it? Is it Sara? Mm-hmm. Her story with Mac, with Tolvin, which I hope isn't 100% over. One of my favorites of the, at least the last five years. I haven't read those comics, so I... I have no opinion about that. Oh, you got to read them. They're so good. Uh, I was torn between two for my first pick, but I think I, I had decided to let Schweck have my first pick. So I'm going to go with Kanan Jarrus and Harris and Dula. 
There you go. That's my number three. Because that is one of, and having just finished watching, basically I rewatched all of the Clone Wars and all of the Rebels episodes that had anything to do with Mandalore. And since I was already so close to the end of Rebels, I was like, you know, I'll just finish it out. And their story arc is so sweet and so heartbreaking and so upsetting because it's so deeply tragic that the first time she tells him she loves him is like two seconds before he dies. Yeah, but he also gets to see her again for one more time. Yeah. 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 But still. But they're they're the parents of this group of rebels. And even without constantly being lovey all over each other, you know that they're together and they are looking after all of their children even before they have a real child of their own. Who then disappears. Who then you never hear about again. Where's Jason? Where is Jason? We need to start a campaign. We'll do one more each, Ryan. We'll, we'll, you got another one? Yeah. So my second is not an official relationship. But, oh, no. But we all know it's true. You're shipping? Obi-Wan and Duchess Satine. <laughs> oh, that's not shipping. That's that's real. That's real. I mean, come on. We know. We all know what goes on. And you cannot tell me that Corky is not their kid. Oh, Corky is totally their kid. That's why you never see him again. They They had to brush him under the rug. Yeah, I mean, they very clearly made him look like Obi-Wan. Those episodes are, I, I mean, they're really powerful. That's like, interesting. Have we, have we followed up on that character? No, he disappeared. No, he's and, gone. Bo, Katan, and Mandalorian, I mean, if you follow what she said, he's dead. Because she says, I'm the only one left. So, I mean, what, that last episode, he just kind of goes. They just, the, all the emotions in those episodes is played so well and they're written so well. So, yeah, they're my second. I was going to go with just the pure hotness of Ventress and Quinlan Voss because if there's a just a kind of a sexual relationship of all these, that's it's that, it's just that one. I'm going to, I'm going to go real old school with the, I, I'd say the first Romeo and Juliet of Star Wars, um, Nomi Sunrider and Ulick Keldroma from the Tales of the Jedi comics. Obviously, legends now, but they're four thousand years before A New Hope, and uh, Nobi Sunrider is a widow whose husband was a Jedi because back then Jedi could still do it. And her husband is killed, and she meets Yulik, and they kind of fall for each other. But Yulik ends up turning to the dark side and leading the Sith and the Great Sith War, and she's on the other side. But they still love each other, and then at the climax of the saga, she, instead of killing him, she strips him of all of his uh, connection to the Force. That's his final punishment. And then he has to go into exile. And then it's her daughter that ends up redeeming him later in life. It's just this big, tragic love story between these two characters uh, in in my favorite comics, Star Wars comics ever. I got to read some comics. I got to stop reading books and read comics. Those Tales of the Jedi books, they could totally be Star Wars's Game of Thrones. Yeah, they're so good. Give me Kevin J. Anderson. <laughs> Give me Kevin J. Anderson and a big budget. And we will turn those into their Game of Thrones. Well, I am going to ship one. Oh, no. Because because you brought up shipping. Now I got to ship the couple that should have been Finn and Poe. <laughs> because those two have more charisma together than any, any other couple we see in the entire sequel trilogy. Okay. I, I want to talk about this. This gets beat to death, but we've never really talked about it. You know, it's it's fun for a good joke. But how awesome would it have been? If Rise of Skywalker ended with them in a big kiss, it would have been a cultural moment. There's already enough fanboys that hate that movie and, and think Star Wars has turned social justice warrior. So who cares? 
But like, man, that would have been it would have been a huge moment in culture. I don't know if it was necessary, but it, it I think it would have been cool. I just think it would have been cool. Yeah. I just I just think their chemistry was so good. It's not even me trying to make a joke at all. I'm perfect together. No, I know you're not. I just think it's become kind of a meme, right? That they were a couple, but I just think it kind of would have kind of been cool if they actually were. They they managed to sneak in what one same sex kiss at the end of the movie. At the very blink it you miss it end. The two characters we don't really know. Exactly. But yeah, it would have been and it would have been nice. Well, I can't believe we made that through without Mara Jade. <laughs> that that's on my list. <laughs> I have uh, Han and Kira. I have Cornhorn and Mirix. And then uh, I my, and I do have Raylo. I do have uh, Ray and Kylo. I had a uh, I had Bale and Breha on mine as well. Oh, that's sweet. I like that. Notice that no one had Anakin and Padme. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I thought of was the sad relationship between Owen and Brew who just want to live their life on a moisture farm, and then they have to take in their little brat nephew, and then they get burned to death because of it. (laughs) Like, you know. And you know she didn't like him that much. Uh, Yeah, I feel like she secretly resents Owen and and doesn't want Luke to leave, even though she knows he needs to leave. She's like, God, if that kid leaves, what am I going to do with this awful man? One of my favorite memes about them is painting the ceiling, which I think is hilarious. (laughs) You know, in 25 years, he never painted that ceiling. (laughs) I want to get like a from a certain point of view story about how she was getting it from Obi-Wan on the side. (laughs) It was so bad. She joined the Nexium cult. (laughs) Yeah, well, (laughs) yeah. All right, Beth, tell us about our book. All right. So Thane Kyrell is from a rich and very snobby family. Sienna Ree is from a humble but honorable family, if not for the Empire setting up shop on their homeworld of Jelucan? Jelucan? I have no idea. Uh, They might never have met, but on the day the Empire arrives, they accidentally meet and instantly bond over their love of ships. Encouraged by none other than Grand Moff Tarkin, the two spend all of their time together in the hopes of getting into an Imperial Academy. Which they do both get into the best school on Coruscant, where they begin to see that the Empire might not be the noble entity they thought it was as children. After graduation, Sienna is assigned to Darth Vader's Star Destroyer and Thane to the Death Star. The destruction of Alderaan affects them and their friends differently, and Thane begins to see the Empire for what it really is, while the destruction of the Death Star only strengthens Sienna's resolve. Thane witnesses atrocities that convince him to leave despite his budding romance with his best friend. Sienna tracks him down, but despite getting it on, he refuses to return with her. Thane winds up with the rebels while Sienna gets more and more promotions. The Empire puts Sienna's mother on trial, and she finally sees the cracks that she wouldn't let herself see before. Unfortunately, her honor will not allow her to abandon her duty. During the Battle of Jakku, Sienna tries to scuttle the Star Destroyer she now commands, while Thane races to rescue her. He saves them both in the end, but Sienna is now a captive of the New Republic. So right off the bat, there's my first real problem with the book, is that this is a cliffhanger with no resolution. 
because there is no Lost Stars 2. Yeah, I was real mad at you guys when I got to the end. Sorry, I thought there'd be another one eventually, but now Claudia Gray is so busy with High Republic, I doubt that's going to happen. They, they, they I, I don't accept that as an answer. It could happen. It has to happen. I was so mad at you guys when I got to the end of this. <laughs> this is a YA book, but compared to the last YA book that we read, this is an amazing YA book. It's a sexy YA book. <laughs> it's probably the sexiest Star Wars book I've read in forever. Maybe since the was a Dark Disciple. They actually talk about doing it which is not something that happens in Star Wars very often. Yeah, and and they actually just describe a little bit. They don't get, you know, super deep into detail. It's but it's There's a love scene. It's no yeah. more racy than watching an episode of Buffy, but it's more than we normally get out of Star Wars and especially a YA Star Wars. It's interesting that this is YA because I, you know, I guess her other books aren't considered YA, right? No. I don't see the difference. <laughs> <laughs> Like in the quality of the writing and I just, I guess I don't see, I mean, I have some problems with this book. I really liked it. I do have some problems with it, but I don't know where that line is. Is just because it's shorter. Younger characters? I don't know. I I don't know how they make the distinction. As someone who is an unabashed Dawson's Creek fan, (laughs) the best friends who grew up together and finally realized that they're in love with each other is right up my alley. So I was down for that. So this was your first time reading it, right, Chad? It was. It was. Yeah. I read this book like a year ago because I remember putting it on my list of books to do about a year ago. And I, I get where you're coming from, Chad, with your your main problem with the book. It didn't really occur to me, though, until you pointed it out. Like, it didn't bug me at all until you pointed that out. And then as soon as you pointed out that they're everywhere, then it kind of started to bug me a little bit. So, yeah, this book has this kind of uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern thing. Where, yes, we're following these two star-crossed lover kids who grew up together, but they witness, really kind of have like front row views of everything that happens in the original trilogy. (laughs) And I'm not a huge fan of that. One event, maybe. But they're there for everything. And it's, it's another case of like making the galaxy seem small to me. I think for a YA book, though, it's a good idea because then you're not concentrating on another story about the war or some plot that you have to follow. Like the relationship is foremost and center and you're familiar enough with all this other stuff going on that they don't have to go into too much that they just blew up a planet or that, you know, there's another death star or anything like that. I think it's probably also important to remember when this book came out, like didn't this come out before force awakens? Yeah. This is yeah. one of the Journey to Force Awakens books. So maybe there's also a, an obligation to also work as an introduction to the universe a little bit, uh-huh. possibly. For me personally, like they're best friends from Alderaan and he happens to be on the Death Star when, now, you know, to be fair, there's a lot of people on the Death Star, so there's probably an Alderaanian or two on there. But I don't know. It, they just seem to be everywhere. And, and when it got to the point where it's like, oh, she's assigned to the Devastator and he's assigned to the Death Star. I was like, really? What if one of them got put on a garbage scowl? Like, where would, <laughs> where would we be right now? I, yeah, I don't imagine your average Imperial runs into Darth Vader that much. It's a big, it's a big government. <laughs> That'd be like me just kind of randomly running into Donald Trump every once in a while. Good God, that's horrifying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it, it, at least Darth Vader wears a mask. <laughs> it, it does make for, I would say, a... And I mean this both good and bad ways, I guess, a convenient way to structure it around these kind of major events and, and having their 
you know, the idea that, you know, the, the their 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 love story parallel the battle for the galaxy and end with the I mean not technically the end of the rebellion but you know but still culminate kind of with Return of the Jedi I mean it makes it makes sense it just it's just a little too uh, on the nose for me mm-hmm. uh, for things like that although there was a really cool moment on Star Wars Resistance that used that did that with uh, Kaz watching Cosmic Prime mm-hmm. uh, explode that was really moving and really well done this I just felt okay they're gonna be here and then. Again, they were just so cl- they were both just so close to the center of everything that it reminded me of what were the characters on Lost, mm-hmm. Nikki, Nikki and Paolo. <laughs> yeah, they've been here the whole time. Shoehorned in there, but they were here the whole time. Right, you know, or they're they're Dawn on Buffy. <laughs> There's a lot of characters like that. Nora Wexley is like that, right? Um, Shut your mouth. <laughs> Sharabay, <laughs> Sharabay, and uh, you know, Dan, uh, and um. Kes Dameron are like that, right? Where you're in Hera is like that too, you know? No, she was right there. She was right there in Endor too. Why didn't you see her? I, she was right there. I just, I don't know. There was a little bit, but I did enjoy the story. Well, I, I liked getting to see the destruction of Alderaan from a good person's point of view. That was effective, yes. And, and the destruction of the, the Death Star from a good person's point of view who worked on the Death Star. You know, she's like that stormtrooper meme. Some of my friends were on that Death Star. Mm-hmm. It is effective in doing that. I just kind of wish that they weren't also at Endor, you know? Yeah. But she does. She makes excuse after excuse after excuse for the Empire. And to me, that's the only thing that's really just a little, okay, come on, about her character is that her honor is so strong. See, I thought the opposite. Like, that's one of the things I really like they did with her. She knows it's wrong. She, you know, makes excuses and has her honor why she has to stay and justifies it that good people can make it right. Like, I, I don't know. I think that's pretty real. Like, just following orders. That's what they say, right? Right. I think you're right. I think it is a fairly, I would say, almost daring character study, you know, uh, of someone who would, despite knowing the actions of their totalitarian government is wrong, still somehow find a way to rationalize going along with it. I think it is interesting. And I I think it, like I said, I think it feels real. I feel like we're living it right now a little bit, you know, (laughs) you know, I, 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 uh, I, I felt it was genuine. I, however, kind of paralleling real life, I did do wonder up to a, at what point does he go like, if you're cool with this, I don't know if we're still buds. Right. That's the only thing I, I you know, again, I'm dealing with, we were, some of us are dealing with that in our own lives, but I don't know if I can be cool with you anymore, you know, but you know, it's also a, it's also a teen love story. So, well, and he does also go off to their home planet to help support her when, the Empire puts her mother on trial for nothing, and he goes home to support her to see if there's anything left of her because their friend, who also joins the rebellion, is saying they've used her up. She's she's not her anymore. But he yeah. goes home to find out, oh, wait, there is something left of her. But also, she's still, even after they assign her mother six years of hard labor, like, all right, well, I guess I'm going back to the Empire. See you later, buddy. Well, look. Those valley people are a bunch of thieves and criminals. <laughs> yeah. It's just who they are. What does she have to go to? If she leaves, she's a defector or she joins the rebellion. Those are her two choices, right? She's on the Devastator. She knows Darth Vader. She's she's on the fast track, as they would say, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> to having her own ship. 
And so, I don't know, man, like, it, it seems like... Well, and you see, like, with Yerika and Alphabet Squadron, what happens when you leave? Like, that, right. you see the price. Yeah, and there's a little bit of that in this, which mm-hmm. I liked. I thought he was very naive at the end. Yeah. But <laughs> you know, that that's why I found the ending to be satis- to be so dissatisfying because I didn't believe that that was over at all. Like he's like, "No, we're we're a bunch of good people. You'll be okay." And I'm like, "No." No, she won't. No. <laughs> she's a she's a war criminal. You know, her time to defect ended like 20 minutes ago. Uh-huh. But after Jakku, you're not you're not a defe- you're not a defector anymore. You're a war criminal. You're right. It does do a really good job of presenting I don't want to say presenting both sides because one side is obviously run by an evil fascistic Sith Lord. Looking at the people who, you know, would work day to day. He said, you know, the old, what's the the joke in clerks, right? About all the independent contractors. Yeah. <laughs> working on the Death Star. You know, there are still people that work. The Empire is the government of the galaxy. And so there are still people that work for that government. Well, and we can blame their whole dilemma on Tarkin. If they hadn't met Tarkin... <laughs> But I love how Tarkin comes off as kind of this nice guy. <laughs> like, oh, you mean my uncle Tarkin? Yeah, yeah. it's 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 recruiting, right? It's recruiting. <laughs> oh. To be fair, is anyone's life ever improved by coming across Tarkin? Uh, I have to read Tarkin again to make sure, but I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, she got out of the valley. She by yeah. the end is you know in command of a flagship. She she could have stayed poor Valley trash. Uh-huh. And and instead, she gets her own Star Destroyer. So when you guys told me it was Romeo and Juliet, I did not think she was going to. I thought they were going to go down in the ship. Mm. Should they have just gone down in the ship? Well, if there's not going to be, be a sequel, yeah. If, if this was a YA, if this wasn't a YA book, I mean, even a YA book, but if it wasn't, if it was just one book. Shouldn't they've just both gone down with the ship instead of this, like what I felt tacked on ending where he's like, don't worry, partner, everything's going to be OK. I mean, you know, Gray has said she's got the layout for the next book. Like, she's ready. You know, I think they thought it was going to go farther. Maybe a sequel was going to come out quicker. I mean, which is surprising. This book was sold well. Um, Really well received, too. Yeah, and they made that whole, and I have not read it, but the... The manga. The manga, yeah, style. And I think parts of it is still coming out. Like, I don't think it's all the way done yet. I was so frustrated at the end. I just, I didn't, I guess it comes to a conclusion, but not enough of one. Well, and it it also sets up their friend from Alderaan to be the big bad for the next book. Yeah, it also gives you a, a new villain is born teaser at the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, an, and it basically gives you a Marvel end credit sequence. <laughs> maybe we'll see it, or maybe she can work, find a way to work those characters into other things. Mm-hmm. What what does anybody remember what year this book takes place? That's a whole bunch of years, right? Well, I mean, at, towards the end, like it ends right after right after Endor. Well, well yeah, Jack Who really. So so six months after Endor, about four BB or ABY, depending on what the timeline is now. I don't know, but oh, hey, the I way things it. are going, they'll show up in the next season of The Mandalorian. Who knows? <laughs> Looking younger. <laughs> anyway, yeah, these these characters could show up in any number of ways, but I still feel like it would be more satisfying for them to have their own book because this is a story that isn't going to get told in another property unless we just happen to flash to a, a war 
crime trial and and there she is. How how amazing would it have been if this was Eureka? Ooh. You know, like if they had made that connection. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously the alphabet squadron came along a lot later, right? Yeah. But she's kind of in the same situation that Eureka's in. Mm-hmm. I mean, outside of Operation Cinder, you know, and all that, you I mean, you could plug a lot of it in. You know, it's not particularly outside of the box, but it's a very solid Boston Greek, you know, teen, uh, young adult romance. You know, that, that the, uh, about these two people who are obviously meant for each other and forces tear them apart and they come back together and forces tear them apart. It's pretty s- traditional uh, structure, but in Star Wars, something we hadn't really seen that much of. Well, and what I like about it is that half the time the forces that are tearing them apart are themselves. Yes. Yeah. Or it, their, their, their choice, their decisions. Now, at some points, there are choices the Empire is making to keep them apart, because when they're in the Academy together, it's it's not 100% confirmed, but it seems pretty clear that one of them gets framed for sabotaging the other's project by the school, because they're they're too friendly to each other, and they don't want people being friendly to each other. You can't be. A, you can't have a girlfriend if you're a Jedi. You can't have a girlfriend if you're an Imperial officer. Who gets to have girlfriends? <laughs> <laughs> How do these people reproduce? <laughs> yeah. Well, and it follows that kind of setup of the Emperor that he kind of has power by constantly putting people against each other, and that's kind of trickled all the way down to the Academy. That if you're going to be the best, procedure. yeah, I'm going to set some stuff up to make you hate each other. You know, so your alliance alliances to us and not your friend from the cave. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, because they're 15 or so at the time, they totally believe it because 15 year olds are stupid. I'd be super pissed if my laser gun didn't work. and I thought somebody messed with it. We're not cool anymore, dude. We're not cool. (laughs) I just, I just love reading the story and it gets to that point where you know, it's going to come to where it goes. He all of a sudden noticed she's pretty. (laughs) (laughs) It's like in Goblet of Fire when Hermione shows up in her dress, you know, uh, for the ball. And all of a sudden, Ron's like, oh, doy, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's very it's, it's very it's a very standard moment. But yeah. I was still I was still like totally, you know, and then she looks at him and was like, he's quite handsome. I don't think Hermione ever thought that about Ron, by the way. No, just to be clear. <laughs> They film it. It's like the moment she takes her nerd glasses off. And he's like, oh, yeah. hey, that's kind of what it is, right? He's just like, oh, she's gorgeous. And you're like, oh, you, you could notice that back home. <laughs> you know, she was probably cute a year ago. She was wearing rags. She was valley trash. <laughs> that's true. That's true. It's trash, But <laughs> it, it did have those very, you know, and then it, it had the, the best friends who were always giving them crap for not acknowledging their feelings. You know, I mean, you strip the Star Wars out of it. It's just a high school show. Yeah. <laughs> it just also includes a little bit of genocide. <laughs> there was no genocide on the creek. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Did you watch? Did you watch? Did you watch season five? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I did. It felt like a war crime. <laughs> All right. So you had a problem with them being everywhere. Did you have a problem with Wedge being the one who pulls Thane into the rebellion? 
at this point, I kind of feel like Wedge is like getting a kickback for everyone he brings in. <laughs> <laughs> like he gets a little bonus if he finds somebody. It's like, come on over. Ten credits for every guy you bring in. So he's kind of like a pro bono Nick Nick Fury. Yeah. <laughs> like he's like Nick Fury, but he works on commission. <laughs> that'll be the next book wedge recruits (laughs) i guess it doesn't bother me as much because there's to me there's a huge difference between being right there when they blew up alderaan and meeting uh wedge like who's just who's a pilot you know like he's a he's a big character to us but at the time of this book he's not a hugest of characters you know or or when he meets and hangs out with dak in hoth for like five minutes oh did he yeah yeah yeah. Oh. Oh no, I'm back. Sorry. I was thinking of um yeah, okay. You're, yeah, I was thinking of Dash. Sorry. Ooh, no. This book would be even better if Dash were. <laughs> no with Dak. I actually I really liked getting a little bit of Dak. Like next time I watch Empire it'll <laughs> you know, make me just just a tiny bit sadder when Dak bites it. Because because you knew he was just an idealistic kid. <laughs> wow, but you know that from the movie. I know. Exactly. So I I don't know. I don't feel like it. I don't feel like it added anything. It was just like, hey, here's here's some Dak. Give him a few more lines of dialogue. Give him a little <laughs> bit. I, I don't I don't mind that. But, but again, I'm much more. It's easier for me to handle the fact that she that he would run into Dak Ralter than them happening to be watch the executor crash into the Death Star. I thought the Cloud City was a little much that like they were the ones that were leading the hyperdrive sabotage. I was like, yeah, all right, guys, they would have been murdered. (laughs) The minute that ship, the minute the Falcon jumped into hyperspace, they would have been murdered. If the crew who did that was right there, they would be dead. They would have been force choked. They'd be that's the whole point at the end is Vader's not up for it. He's 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 lost heart at that point. Right. He doesn't he doesn't kill Piet. He's got a lot on his mind then. I forget what book it was, but we talked about this where there was a book. Mm-hmm. I forget that we read that mentioned the fact that around this time, Vader got a little less destructive with his crew members. It's in the second alphabet squadron, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah where they were talking about how he it was kind of like his heart wasn't in the choking game anymore. You know, <laughs> like, like he didn't. And that was all after Cloud City. Vader went vanilla. <laughs> This part of the conversation reminds me that I have to put out my Christmas decorations because I have a lack of faith mm-hmm. Christmas ornament to put up. <sighs> Tis the season. <laughs> Tis the season to force choke for your God. Now, I did like that he kept hearing Luke Skywalker's name. And by the time he finally was just like, oh, God, I'm so tired of hearing about this guy. <laughs> I did like that. Yeah. Yeah. I did like that. Uh, there were people that weren't necessarily fans of Luke Skywalker. I mean, if you <laughs> like think about it. Like, they never met him, but he was just like, I am so sick of hearing about this dude. Let's say you're a fighter pilot. You survived the Battle of Scarif, right? And uh, and you're you're and you've been a veteran fighter pilot for a long time, and you're you're in the Alliance, and then this kid comes in, <laughs> and he gets a ship, and all of a sudden he's a commander. Like, very quickly, there's probably some resentment there for him. Uh, speaking of, have you guys read from a certain point of view yet? Neither of them, no. No, not yet. All right, I've read the first one. It's really good. You need to read it. I think we should, I was thinking we should cover those by we should read them. And then how many stories are there in each one? I think that there's like 30 something stories in the first book. 
How about we, we could do a thing where we each pick out three or four and roundtable them or something, you know? Yeah. Um, as opposed to like going through every single story in the book. No, because you know I, mean? I want to talk about uh, Baru's chapter where she could have had a job making Bantha milk cheese for a living. <laughs> if, she only, if only she hadn't married Owen. <laughs> I need to read this immediately. <laughs> I need to read this immediately. <laughs> Anyway, sorry. Sorry. Aside from. (laughs) Who cares? (laughs) Sorry to pull away from current. That's okay. That's okay. But there are a lot of there are a lot of chapters about those guys who are in the rebellion and and watching like, hey, who the hell is this guy? That you you always wondered. But there they are there. They actually do have a book for those guys. But like Thane also, when he joins the rebellion, he's quickly gone from releasing Tauntauns to just being a big part of every single battle that they have. I have a hard time believing that they, when he said he needed to go save Sienna for when he went to go support her when her mother was on trial, that was it Dodonna or Rykian? Rykian. Um, said, hey, yeah, just take off, man. We might not be here when you get back, but that's cool. Wherever you got to go, do it, man. This um, goes back to before when they keep they keep their fighter jets. They are a terrible military. <laughs> <laughs> and then when he, only when he gets back does he say, yeah, so I went to visit my girlfriend and she's an Imperial, Imperial. Uh, officer. And only then are they, oh, shit, we, we, we probably should have asked you where you're going first. And that's when you get a trank in the neck from Cassie and Andor. <laughs> right. <laughs> like come on yeah, they're the worst military <laughs> like, I'm uh, sorry they don't just let you leave and come back they would want to know a little bit of information <laughs> I mean just yeah I'm going off to visit my imperial girlfriend just doesn't <laughs> I'll be right back though at least like I mean at le- they'd be like at least wear a wire you know <laughs> like, something well but, they would have heard a whole lot of dirty stuff That's that's true I mean it is a YA book, uh, but how many, I mean, I don't want to get pervy on it, but think about how many Star Wars books actually acknowledge a sexual act between characters. How many Star Wars things do that? Like, uh, you know, I mean, I don't believe Padme and Anakin ever had sex. I have no idea where those babies came from. <laughs> Obi-Wan. <laughs> but, like she would there's no way she would let that guy touch him. Touch her. <laughs> Creepy ass robot hand. <laughs> no, no way he would he, he could touch her. But like it's 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 something that Star Wars has always, you know, is very famous when they were making the uh, original movies. George told Carrie Fisher that you know he had her like strapped down her breasts underneath her white thing because he didn't want her to be too sexualized, you know. Like, Until he put her in a gold bikini. Well, you know, he was going through a divorce. And so <laughs> they <laughs> but but there's a uh but Star Wars has been a fairly sexless franchise. Um and the acknowledgement of two people even having intercourse is different than most Star Wars books. Like I said, I think Dark Disciple is very clear uh-huh. about what happens between Ventress and Voss. And and then you have kids <laughs> that show up. So I guess Hera and Canaan at some point. And the ghost is not a very big ship. <laughs> no, it's not. No. And you've got <laughs> Maybe teenagers around. Well, actually, they just sneak into the Phantom. 
the phantom like you lay down the seats in the phantom there's plenty of room <laughs> chopper's seen some things man he's he's the watch <laughs> they put him outside the door yeah <laughs> yeah well so. and and han and leia obviously had to have had sex because you know that han wouldn't put up with that shit if there was not going to be some sex well eventually yeah but in the in the course of the stories that we see it's just not something that's usually part. I, I mean, unless unless you're trying to pheromone rape somebody um, <laughs> in Shadows of the Empire. And, you know, yeah. And, and you know, we know that Lando is pretty uh, pansexual. He's into a droid. He's into everything. <laughs> well, I'd rather think about these guys having sex than sheave. Clones. They were clones. <laughs> clones of sheave are still sheave. That's fine. But you don't have to, but there's no there's no sex there for Sheev to have. A clone of Sheev did. <laughs> a clone of Sheev had sex. <laughs> but but we saw him. He was better looking than Sheev. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't a prize. Let me wrong. But he was better <laughs> looking than Sheev. Although I still say I think the Emperor's wife would be a really cool story. Like you have this. Let's call her Melania, and you have this woman. <laughs> And like we never see her, but it turns out this like whole time Palpatine has this wife and that's where the kid comes from. <laughs> he keeps trying to hold her hand and she won't do it. <laughs> she goes to the banking clan to try to renegotiate her prenup, you know, <laughs> like it would be, you know, it'd be something, but you know, I guess, I guess we'll deal with clones. <laughs> and then she absolutely does not want to decorate for life day. <laughs> <laughs> She would definitely not decorate her life day. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, it's alright. It's only the crumbling of American democracy. It's fine. <laughs> it's it's either laugh or cry. Sorry. Uh, sorry. Um I guess we if we didn't if we didn't uh turn certain people off talking about uh the big uh gay kiss that should have happened in, in Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> we'll finish off the job here. I don't know. I like the book. <laughs> it was it was a quick it was a it was again it's a quick read i think she's gotten better though yeah maybe maybe why just means like you have a you have a like a legally smaller vocabulary you're supposed to use i don't know exactly <laughs> what it is well it's it's not bloodline and it's not master and apprentice but it it's not trying to be those things it is trying to be something different her writing just gets more confident as she goes along this was her first Star Wars book, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 So, and yeah, and so she gets more confident. I think the prose is a lot more solid in Leia and in Bloodlines uh, and in Master and Apprentice because you get better at these things. And she was given more words, I guess, to use <laughs> because she could write grown up books. I just, I just, I think you're right. Maybe it's just because it stars young people. I don't I, I guess I don't know what makes these things YA and not just short novels. Well, I think YA is at least these days it's kind of taken to be, you know, it's going to be short. Harry Potter, Harry Potter was not short. Also could have been. <laughs> Harry Potter was definitely not short. But like Suzanne Collins, I mean, I always thought her prose was just fine and I I was always like I don't know why this is considered a YA book other than it stars teens, but does that mean Lord of the Flies is a YA book? I don't know. Is the omen? Uh, anyway, but <laughs> <laughs> anyway. 
Well, did did she start with YA books or did she start with actual novels? That I don't know. I don't know. I don't know enough about her pre-Star Wars life to yeah. judge her or ju- not judge her, but judge her growth as a writer. Like if she'd gotten her start in YA, I could totally get that, you know, this was her beginning to write grown-up books. She was a YA. She did a couple of series. Um, I can't remember what they're called. And she did uh, some DC stuff. But yeah, she, uh, you know, did some fantasy YA kind of things. One well, like E.K. Johnson is definitely a exclusively exclusively YA writer. Um, I think she does a lot of kind of um, LGBT themed YA stuff, you know, with um, queer protagonists. And because uh, I follow her, she's a great follow on uh, Twitter. But and Claudia, great. Now, what do we know about her work in High Republic? Is she writing the YA, a YA book or is she writing? Because we know Charles Sewell's writing the first big book. Yeah, I think she's the YA. Um, yeah, she's writing one called Into the Dark. And I don't see much about it. It does. It does say it's YA. Okay, because that see, that makes me excited because I don't. I don't see the difference necessarily when I'm reading this. So get two of them right away. Apparently like the first six chapters of the soul book is like online. Not, I'm not doing it. It is a lot of it is. And they started to release pages of the comic too. So have they? Yeah, they, and it's art only. There's no text in it, but I I don't want to be spoiled. Yeah. What did I just see? Oh, uh, the latest issue of Afra has some direct high Republic references. They mention the uh, what are the bad guys called the nil? They they actually find a nil spacecraft in in an, in a recent issue. Hmm. Not not to keep pushing from a certain point of view on you, but there is an E.K. Johnson story, and there's an Afra story. Just saying. So, no, I I, I want to check them out. I own both of them. I just haven't. I just haven't read them. I have to go back and read Aftermath again. <laughs> <laughs> and see, this is how I get by is I can read one book and then listen to the audiobook of a different book at the same time. At further risk of alienating parts of our audience, I used this month's audio credit to uh, get the Obama book in, uh, on, my, on uh, Audible <laughs> because he reads it. And the idea of going to bed every night with that voice lulling me to sleep, I'm completely OK with. I, I see that as comforting right now. That's like your weighted blanket. Yes. Yeah, just get me through these next six weeks. Speaking of aftermath. So here it comes after what? Over a year of references <laughs> and, and badgering me and badgering. We will finally cover aftermath. Um, and if you've listened to the other episodes, we're going to cover it kind of like we covered Thrawn, that new trilogy where. On the next episode, look at Aftermath, and then the second book, Life Debt. And then after that, we'll look at the third book and just have some general discussion. You know, Aftermath is kind of the spine of new canon after Return of the Jedi. Everything kind of spawns out from it. So it's the Yeah, it's the skeleton of those final mm-hmm. six months of the war. Speaking of a certain point of view, it also has all... But what I liked about it is it has, has all these little interstitial tidbits that have nothing <laughs> to do with nothing. But if you want to know what's going on with Malachi, the Rancor Keeper. And and if you care what happens to Jar Jar, 
You're in luck and prepare to be very sad. <laughs> sad, sad, Jar Jar. Prepare to be very, yeah, very that sad. That one guy who cares about what happens to Jar Jar is going to be super upset. Uh, yeah, I, I, I haven't. It'll be interesting to go back through him again. I resisted for so long, but I would not have known who Cobb Vanth was if not for these books. There you go. And so much else that's happening right now. I am old and have a medical marijuana card, so I don't remember <laughs> who he was either. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Check out Execute Chapter 66 uh, eventually on NeedlessThingsPodcast.com. But for now, <laughs> someday. One day. But for now, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at needlessthingspodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh-huh.